we're here with another episode of the Young Black Suburban. I'm here with some very special guests. Uh, I have a childhood friend, not only a childhood friend. Uh, this guy grew up two houses down from me. So when you hear the name uh, Young Black Suburban that I came up with, um, you got to understand that our neighborhood where we grew up, um, the school that we went to, uh, the people that influenced us um, all go into that name. So I'm here with somebody uh, that kind of parallels me. He just happens to be white. <laughs> <laughs> Matt Stebbins, um, along with uh, his friend, mentor, Olin. Uh, Olin, your last name? Morris. Olin, Olin Morris. Yeah. Are you from Philadelphia? I'm originally from northeastern Pennsylvania, so I am a... Uh, uh, black suburban. Okay, uh, cool. <laughs> we got two young, uh, with two. Uh, they say I'm allowed to still say it for one more year. Young black suburban. Yeah, yeah, I mean, the old, old black suburban. <laughs> uh, mature black suburban. Yeah, there you go. And Matt Stevens, Matt, man, how you been all these years? Good. No, everything is good. There were some ups and downs, such as life, but um, you know, today everything's really good. That's you know? good. That's yeah. good, man. Um, and when I reached out to you, I reached out to you because I saw, you know, a lot of the things that you're doing in the community. Uh, and I think that me, as well as you, do a lot of things for other people because of our upbringing, where we come from. Um, and just, you know, having such a great neighborhood and the, the way that we grew up. Um, do you remember those old days back in, uh, for me is 161 Liberty Drive. Yeah, I was at 175. That was still two doors. Two, two doors yeah, still yeah. two doors. Do you remember those days? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, I remember you were always a great athlete growing up. Like, you know, I was always hoping you were on my team for that one. <laughs> poaching him on that. Um, you know, I, there were a lot of great memories there and having like the circle down at the bottom yeah. and that big giant field where, you know, you could have those big neighborhood like cross hockey team wars and stuff like that that went on for entirely too long. Uh, I'm pretty sure that, that our side won. Yeah, yeah, yeah definitely. definitely. The long term for sure. Yeah, and um, yeah, I think that there were a lot of advantages to, to where we grew up in terms of being able to go to Pensbury. Mm -hmm. um, walking out of there with a you know, good education for, for public school. You know, that was really a blessing um, that you that I didn't really realize at the time. Right. Um, you know, definitely in that first year of college for me, um, kind of peer reviewing papers from other people. And I was like, oh, wow, all right. Y'all, I got a way better English education. Than <laughs> um, yeah. And I think that, yeah, it was a really good experience overall. I mean, especially comparative to some of the things that I've seen in, in you know, Southwest Philly, North Philly, West Philly, um, that, you know, there were a lot of advantages that, that I had growing up um, right. to be able to get a step ahead in a lot of ways. Right. Olin, you have a similar uh, upbringing? Yeah, I mean, so I, you know, I grew up in uh, northeastern Pennsylvania, which is, I, I won't even say it's a suburb because uh, you're out in the, you know, now what is considered Trump country, but, um, you know, about an hour and a half from New York City. 
hour and a half. Well, what, what town did you grow up in? I'm, I'm from Wilkes-Barre, Pennsylvania, oh, okay. which was a city of itself, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, a small city of itself. Right. They have a lot of boxing there, actually. I don't know why. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but there's a lot of boxing. There. A lot of boxing, a lot of wrestling. Yeah. Um, wrestling was my outlet, but boxing was my first my, my first introduction. My father uh, was a boxer. You know, mm-hmm. didn't do it on any any major level, but, you know, that was one of his, his loves. Uh but wrestling was the one that was big for me. Right. So, um, you know, I spent my whole life doing that. Right. So we uh, mentioned how me and Matt met. Mm-hmm. Um, how did you guys meet? How did you become uh, friends? Maybe I'll let Matt take that. Yeah. Um, so at the time, I want to say, what, 2017, um, I was struggling a lot. I had years of alcohol and substance abuse issues. Um, you know, when things would get better, then it would get worse, things would get better, things would get worse. Uh, eventually, it kind of came down to this point where, you know, I was uh, broke, uh, unhoused, uh, lost my job, lost my girl, all these things again and again and again. I was back on the streets, nothing, you know, uh, didn't have a pot to, to piss in, whatever. And uh, I was sitting on a park bench in South Philadelphia um and it was gonna take my life and at that point during those last few days where i'd been up for like two three days at that point uh someone i was with had mentioned that like hey you know uh if you're ever struggling or like looking to get out of anything one of my old roommates like kind of helps people and all this and that um which is funny because that conversation was at 7 a.m in a bar in point breeze but uh you know it is what it It happens like that yeah Yeah. you know like a real blessing so uh you know it kind of came down to like i had nothing to lose absolutely nothing i already lost everything either i was gonna die or i give this guy a call uh i called him it was olin uh needless to say i was uh on a plane two days later to south carolina which uh you know as its ups and downs, um, and I was there for about three months in the treatment center. Uh, and then when I got back, um, you know, he called me and was just like, Hey, you doing all right? Like, let's go catch a coffee. Uh, we caught up. I had never met him before at this point. The guy had, you know, basically done what he could to, to help me help myself. Um, and we had a coffee. It was a lot bigger than I expected. Uh, I couldn't tell on the phone. And uh, and then after that, we started going to meetings. Uh, he eventually, you know, became my sponsor. And then I want to say, what, maybe like six months after that, he was kicking a roommate out. I had to get out of my apartment and moved in with him and his now fiance. Um, we've been living together for about three years. And now he's, you know, one of the uh, board directors for Double Trellis, the organization that we run and a big part of, you know, the motivation for this community work and outside of the food, working in harm reduction, some of the intersectionality of, you know, poverty in Philadelphia um, and, you know, worldwide, but specifically in Philadelphia. Well, before we get into your non- this nonprofit, <laughs> before we get into that work, um, I want to just talk about what you just explained to us because me and you uh haven't been in contact really uh since high school maybe even even earlier than that yeah yeah. um so i never this is my first time besides talking about being on the show um knowing about your substance abuse 
Um, I don't know if it's substance, but alcohol. Oh, um, it's both, I'll tell you that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and my memories of you growing up, you growing up in a household uh, where your mom loved you to death. Yeah. <laughs> um, I know that your parents weren't always, you know, they weren't together, but I know that your father's a really good guy. You mentioned that. I was a good athlete. One of the first, very, very first sports teams that I ever was on was a T-ball team that your dad oh, uh, coached. Or he was. He, I remember. This is the story. <laughs> this is the story because we used to be outside as early as five. Six, that I don't know. First grade, second grade. Yeah. Boom. I, I was out there just wiffle balling. Next thing I know, later that night, there's a knock on the door at your dad. Saying, hey, man, I think that this guy needs to come and play T-ball. You know, T-ball, I don't know how old you are at that age. Yeah. Um, and then after that, I, I haven't missed a year of playing sports uh, in my whole life. But wow. Your dad is the one that actually uh, started that all for me. Um, but that's the kind of household that I remember you growing up in. Now, our area is not really the best area when it comes to substances let's just say that yeah how did you get into that lifestyle to start with um sure i mean it was gradual it wasn't like you know you kind of uh you know like a lot of people that i didn't use heroin but a lot of people that use heroin didn't start with heroin you mm -hmm. know what i mean it was this gradual thing and started uh smoked a lot of weed um in i want to say when i was probably like 14 15 started selling a lot of weed started doing a lot of hallucinogenic drugs mm -hmm. um all this and that which like i still you know don't necessarily have a lot of um hate for i think that there's good medicinal properties and, and all of those things um but then probably around 18 um you know that's 17, 18 is when the drinking really picked up. Mm -hmm. um, and it was definitely not like a casual, like, let's go get some beers. It was like, all right, I'm going to 30 pack for myself. What are you going to get? You know what I mean? And then that just like started lifting off when all I right. went to college. Um, you know, found cocaine, which uh, that was for me, that was basically like a steroid for my drinking so that I could like maintain you know, somewhat of like saving face and maintain ego throughout that and be able to party all night and then still, you know, not fall down the stairs. Right. Um, and those two things together really became uh, a powerful combination for me that, you know, it was like, all right, it's Saturday, whatever, it's cool. And then it was like, all right, it's Friday and Saturday. And then that gradual growth kind of continued. Um, and oh man! Oh, and <laughs> oh. the headphones, it sounds like it's coming from outside. <laughs> <I> mean, <laughs> you could have got away with it, but you said sorry first. <laughs> um, but not to cut you off, yeah. it's, it's a good thing that his phone rang because I wanted to ask you your que uh, this similar question. Um, how did you get involved with this kind of work? Um, what did you have substance issues yourself? So yes, I, I had. Uh substance use issues for a, quite, quite a number of years. Um, you know, I, I, uh, I started drinking and, and using, um, you know, sh shortly before um, I left high school. You know, I, like I said, I was a, I was a wrestler, um, you know, a competitive wrestler. 
And uh, up northeast, you know, that's that's what you do. You live, you die, you sleep wrestling. Um, that was my main focus. But on the off season, I was out there drinking. And when when you know, if if there was time in between, I would be drinking out in the woods or wherever. Um, and that slowly that that became a progression over over a period of time. And then um, you know, I got into drugs shortly before I joined the military, I joined the army. Uh, I was going to go on to wrestle in college, but I knew I was going to screw that up. So I was like, you know what, everybody in my family is military, so I'm going to go military. And, um, you know, when I got out of the military, I picked up where I left off mm. and it just, you know, progressed. Right. Um, I did get a college education and I was able to maintain jobs, but, you know, those jobs that uh, I, I would get, you know, they'd be well-paying jobs, but I would always end up back at the same point where I was um, either on suspension or I wasn't waking up on time. I, you know, I, my life was just, you know, unmanageable. So, um, you know, you do that so many times, it's like, all right, what is the common denominator in, in all this? It's my drink and it's my behavior. Mm -hmm. So eventually it got to the breaking point where I had to do something about it. Right. You know, I can't continue to maintain and try to tell it for you and, and say my life is okay mm -hmm. when you visibly know my life isn't okay. Right. right. I, I, I was the last to know though, you know. Mm -hmm. So I, um, I did something about it and it wasn't my first time uh, that, you know, you know, it actually took me three times. Uh, of you know cleaning myself getting back on my feet but the third time was uh there was like an uh, epiphany there was a, a, a just something came to me i was like fully surrendered mm -hmm. to accepting the fact that i can't have even the smallest drink mm -hmm. and um because of what i did i was in, in in sales and marketing um throughout my you know uh career uh, job career um it was easy. It could easily translate into the the um, the treatment industry, mm -hmm. which I don't. I kind of I, I kind of like hesitate in talking about that, but uh, like comparing that to uh, marketing. But you you are you are selling the value of treatment. So I what I do is I I go to you know hospitals. I'll go to different organizations, whether it be unions, whether it be uh, uh, therapist and I uh, talk about the program right. whatever program I may be representing right. and how I could help their patients how I could uh, help anybody that they may be working with mm -hmm. um, find solutions for recovery but that's really how I got into that field um, through my personal journey mm -hmm. um, and now I want to help other people you know be able to recover too right so he heard about me um, through the grapevine, you know, of, of me helping people in, in recovery. And, right. You know, he's a success story. So, you know, you're his help. Um, who was Owen for Owen? Was there an Owen for Owen? There, there was a lot of Owens for Owen. I just didn't see them, right? Right. Um, you know, early on, my coaches were, were some of the most pivotal people in my life, and I'm still very close with them. To this day, but they were the only ones that I respected. Oh, everybody! <laughs> but yeah. as, as can we far get that noise out the background, Jordan? Is that, no, that's, that's there to stay. All right. As as far as uh, uh, 
you know, I went straight to uh, AA for me. Okay. Right. And, and I, I picked up a sponsor. Right. And that sponsor, um, rest in peace, he had passed away, but he, he kind of guided me on this, on, on what to do. But there was a lot of different people that kind of planted the seed mm-hmm. um, and, 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 and didn't give up on me and wanted, you know, saw something in me that I didn't see in myself. Right. And then later on, you know, that kind of sticks with you. You know, oh, he said that, you know, he, he had told, told me these, these you know, ins- inspirational words. And mm-hmm. those were things that motivated me to stay on the right path. Right. You know what I mean? But I, I can't say it's one particular yeah. person. You know what I mean? Good. Yeah. Good influences. Yeah. Good. Matt, so you ended up going to college, man. What school did you go to? Uh, I went to IUP, Indiana University of Pennsylvania, okay. which, uh, you know, took me three years to figure out I hated there. Um, <laughs> it was, you know, it was fun. I joined a frat. That was weird. Um, you know, but it was a way to like justify partying, uh, I think in hindsight. And also they were great customers for the business I was involved in. Um, which and, was, I mean, you know, moving things along. Okay. And, um, so at that point, um, you know, I was out there, I really didn't feel like I was getting a good education. That was a big thing for me where it was just like, I, I don't feel like I'm getting a lot of things, um, especially, you know, outside of like, you know, straight academics, but like a cultural experience. A lot of it was very pencil talky. Okay. Um, and I wasn't there for that. I wasn't. Um, it was a lot of people that like just couldn't get into Penn State, and that was it. You know, it was really weird. Um, so I eventually left there, transferred to Temple. Um, was doing advertising work at Temple, and was getting outsourced a lot of work, which was great. I had a lot of older friends, and they were paying me entirely too much money for like a 21 year old without a college degree. But you know, that's all corporations work. If they don't know and the work is good, whatever, they don't care. Right. Um, but eventually I took a little bit of time off to get some money together. Subsequently started partying harder because I didn't have school at that point. So I eventually dropped out. Uh, and then during that time I started cooking, um, and training under chef Townsend Wentz. Um, and this is probably like 10 years ago, I guess. Um, and that's how the cooking started from there. So I dropped out of college and, you know, started cooking. Yeah, and was this something that you had a passion for before that? Or is it something that you uh, just discovered like, wow, this is something that I want to do now? Yeah, I, I would definitely say there was a passion. I think that part of, part of my high school experience was, uh, you know, my uh, dad was going to, he was traveling. I mean, he would, you know, work in Mexico for like a month at a time. And when you're 16 and you got an open house for a month, <laughs> yeah. what do you do? You carry on. Yeah. And um, so I was also, you know, I would throw these parties, but I found myself cooking a lot for everyone, you know, and trying to create this experience for people much larger than like, let's get drunk, but like, let's get drunk and like, you know, have this food and, and have this like really good time and, you know, yeah. have DJ friends come over. And, um, so I think that idea of creating an experience um, and, and giving something to someone was, was really important in all of that. And then once I started cooking, I was really lucky to work under an absolutely incredible chef who's still, you know, really important to me as a person. Um, 
and he trained me from nothing, absolutely nothing, you know, and this guy was like James Beard nominated chef. Like I had no idea that this dude was like a stud, you right, know. Right. Um and he took me on and, you know, worked me as an understatement. But uh, you know, that's how that industry works. So, right. You know. Nice. Um so what age were you when you moved from the neighborhood that we grew up in? I wanna say 13 or so. 13. Yeah, and then I moved in with I my feel dad. Like that was the same as when I moved as well. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, at the time, my, my mom was having a lot of issues with, uh, you know, her, her ex-husband. And, uh, you know, I wasn't Randy. having... Randy. Yeah, Randy. Yeah. So I, I wasn't having that. Um, and, you know, I didn't really see a lot of the things that was necessarily happening at the time. Mm -hmm. um, you know, because I was like 12, 13, like, what do I know? Right. I'm just like, everybody's mean to me. Um, <laughs> you know, so I left, moved in with my dad. And, you know, coming from, um, you know, divorced parents like that, that like, there was never like a battle over the kids or anything like that. But like, you know, dad was like cooler, you know, he's more hip. So I, re I remember, um, <laughs> We're going down memory lane. You know, your dad used to live in Marsville in those apartments. Yeah, I, yeah. I used to come over, you know, when he would have time with you. I used to have sleepovers. Yeah, yeah. Over there. You know, you, you start to I, come back. I, to I, yo, I remember the Marsville uh, house. Yeah, 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 I forgot so, about that one. Oh, uh, you know, I, I know both your parents are great people. Um, and I could have easily gone down the same path that you've gone down. So talking to you is really... Um, interesting to hear kind of parallels that we have and um not to say that i my route was totally clean or anything like mm -hmm. that by any means i'm not a totally clean person but um to see that you were down at Kin in, in Kensington or south philly or whatever yeah i mean i was all um, over the place in doing that um what part of our upbringing or our culture, let's say, um, made you feel like that was the way to go instead of going to school like a lot of our friends. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't think that there's necessarily like a cut and dry concept where you're like, this is the decision I'm going to make, mm -hmm. you know. Um, it's a very gradual process that continues to grow and then your mind kind of manipulates itself into th into like continuing that process and that's you know how like addiction happens mm -hmm. um you know talking to a lot of unhoused people it's not like they were just like everything's good like forget it i'm gonna sell my house and go live on the streets of kensington yeah you know what i mean so i think that you don't really see it at the time mm -hmm. until you're like oh man this is like i haven't showered in three days i'm sleeping in the woods right now you right. know what i mean so um I think that that's part of it. Um, you know, there was also some, you know, like sexual abuse in my childhood that I'm sure, you know, I mean, I know um, I struggled with for a long time dealing with that and conceptualizing that. Um, and that was really the catalyst to help me get out of that. Right. It was, it was really starting to recognize that as an issue and recognizing the the trauma and the power structure that that created in, in my head and my life and how I was utilizing those power structures upon others and manipulating people and, mm -hmm. you know, living with this pain. Right. Um, that, you know, and that's a very common story. And, and Olin, is that something that you see consistently in people that you help out? 
that you're dealing with some kind of trauma from before? Yeah, there's a, a, a lot of it stems from trauma. Um, a lot of it, there's just behaviors that are, are conditioned or not deconditioned, I guess you could say. Um, they're, they're kind of, uh, you, you know, uh, no, I'll go unchecked that kind of snowball, mm -hmm. right? And, and I'd say even for myself as, as a child, there was, there was behaviors that I exhibited that just kind of, I was a latchkey kid, right? Uh, my father was an alcoholic. Mm -hmm. I had alcohol, we had a bar in, the, in my basement. Uh, I was always seeking attention somehow. I kind of felt left out. I kind of felt, um, you know, um, you know, like the oddball and I had behavior problems, right? Mm -hmm. But nobody, nobody was really checking that. The only, my only outlet was, was wrestling. Um, I think if I had some more influences and maybe uh, I, I maybe had the attention of my father at the time, maybe I would have uh, gone a different path and, uh, and, and produced better coping skills. But my coping skills became diluting those feelings, right? Of, right. of, a, of, of feeling strange, feeling different. And as soon as alcohol got into my system, I felt comfortable. Right. right? That was my, that was my uh, coping skill. And then that kind of snowballs, like, you know, you're always seeking more. I, I, I was always, I always wanted to take things to the limit. Even when I was in sports, it was like, go to the limit. Right. I mean, I have multiple injuries now from going to the limit still, and I'm sober. You right. Know what I mean? uh, so, yeah, there's, there's, there could be a, a, a myriad of different reasons. I can't personally say that I've, I've experienced trauma the way some others right, do. right. Um, but I, I was, um, there was mental abuse, there was uh, verbal abuse in my family, mm -hmm. you know, and, and there was sexual abuse in other people uh, right. in my family. So, you know, there's, there's so, it's like a salad of, a, a, a bad salad that's put together that causes people right. To, right. to go the direction that they go. And, and I'm sitting here looking at both of you guys. Um, and there is clear evidence that there's a way out of that situation. Um, but it, it wasn't that easy, obviously. Um, you mentioned that it took you a few times. Uh, do you remember those days where you felt like it was impossible, man? Yeah. Um, yeah, that went on for a really long time. Um, you know, and I, I tried by myself um, to get sober or get clean. Um, I mean, one of those incidences, I got 30 days sober and then I went out to celebrate by getting drunk. Um, and that's like how the mind works right, at that point. Right. That's what made sense. Um, and there's also this like delusion for, for someone like myself um, that, you know what, cool, I took a break. Maybe I can just, you know, have one or two beers at the barbecue and, and go about my life. Um, and maybe that day that that would work but within shorter and shorter amounts of times it was always back to nothing mm -hmm. you know and, and losing everything again um and that's you know my experience and, and for myself there are people that have you know gotten themselves off of drugs and, and hard drugs and alcohol and you know there are people that can do really amazing harm reduction work and, and i am a proponent of, of harm reduction but for myself personally, abstinence is like the best form of right. harm reduction. Yeah. 
Um, and, you know, in terms of those ideas of um, <clears throat> picking up a drink again, it's, it's like the reward doesn't outweigh the risk. I, I don't know what's going to happen. Could yeah. I possibly drink like a gentleman again? Maybe. But right. like, man, I'll tell you what, like, I don't want to take that risk to yeah. where I was, and, you know, again. Yeah, I understand that. And how many years uh, clean are you now? Uh, I had three years, uh, March 14th of this year. Congratulations. And how about you, Owen? Four years, actually. Four I'm years. Even more than him, but it wasn't my first, like I said, right, it wasn't right. my first rodeo, but uh, four healthy, happy um, years of sobriety. Right. You know, I'm not white knuckling it, thinking about my next drink. Nice, nice. Yeah. And now we're here, and you guys are here. Maybe if, you know, things were the way that they used to be, we wouldn't all three be sitting here like we are right now. But we are, and I'm sitting here to talk about the next chapter of your guys' life as well as what you guys went through. And what I hear is you guys are doing some positive work in the community. Um, and I would like to talk about uh, what that is. Now you have a, a, is it a nonprofit now or? So we're in the steps of doing the nonprofit work. Uh, we're currently a mutual aid organization. That's how we started. Um, everything kind of moved organically into a nonprofit. I still think that there's a lot of downsides to uh, nonprofit work and, you know, being part of, you know, the capitalist state and at what point yeah, yeah. problem and I think there are a lot of problematic nonprofits. You've but, always been uh, a hippie. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Let's just say that. Yeah, yeah, yeah no doubt. There's, there's some consistent things on brand here. But yeah. I mean, ultimately, there are also amazing people doing amazing work in the community in, in Philadelphia that, that are nonprofits that are able to do that. And, and they've been really inspiring. I mean, it's, you know, someone like CMAC in South Philly, um, Tori, who runs this organization, has been doing this work for probably 30 plus years, um, you know, and like they're doing everything that they can and doing it right and, and caring about the community and putting the community first. And it's like, all right, cool. Let's, right. let's be one of those organizations. You know right, what I mean? Right, like right. we're... Uh, nobody gets paid five hundred thousand dollars like this season. G Coleman or nothing like that. Right, right, right. Just, right. You know, that's it. Get yeah. that deep. So, yeah, we're uh, in that process of moving along, and uh, which is interesting. Uh, so, what is your initiative called? So, uh, it's Double Trellis Food Initiative. Um, we generally focus on supplying uh, prepared meals and other groceries to marginalized communities in Philadelphia. Um, whether that's on house communities, um, some of the shelters in North Philadelphia, and then we have um, a series of families that we deal with every week and, and then deliver straight to their house um, through a mutual aid network that I work with. A lot of what we do uh, is based more on production and then we work with other um, organizations, specifically like black led organizations that have longstanding relationships within these communities to help support them, support their community members. Mm -hmm. uh, I think that that's something that's been really important to me, um, both to focus on my strong points of like, cool, like not everyone has the ability to make this amount of meals in this amount of time, you know what I mean? Um, but also respecting and honoring those relationships that they've forged over the years and not just be like, hey, white guy with food, like what's up? You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. 
Um, and I think that's been really important in, in building and strengthening those relationships. Right. Owen, are you a part of this? I am a part. Um, right now, until it, it really blossoms into what he envisions, um, I'm just really here for support um, as far as, you know, the, the beginning stages of the setting up the nonprofit. Um, but, you know, I, I'm, I'm, I do some of my own stuff on uh, as far as with the um, the unhoused community um, as and uh, the food insecure community on the side, um, but yeah, I'm, I'm more support right now okay. than anything. And which is probably uh, sometimes not probably sometimes that's all people need is support. Yeah, um, and it plays a big Everybody part support. in, in <laughs> everything. What exactly? Um, do you guys do though? You said that you provide meals, but you don't just, it, that's, it's not as simple as that. You're not yeah. out there on the corner uh, saying, hey, we have free meals. That's not how it works. So we could go over this week, for instance. Um, so we work a lot um, with Prevention Point in North Philadelphia, which is a home reduction organization that has a couple of respites uh, on Kensington Ave. Um, so those shelters themselves, we will provide finished meals for them, um, you know, so I probably cooked, raised like 60 pounds of chicken and, you know, did like a chicken tinga, made enchiladas, reduced the sauce, all that stuff. And then did that for probably about 75 people, um, side of black beans and rice, stuff like that. Uh, and then for my other families, we also did some um, braised fish, lentils, uh, some cauliflower steaks, uh, with Harissa. So basically, you know, this week was really all about production. We did move some groceries. I work with a local co-op uh, in Kensington that I take a lot of their food that they may not be able to sell. It's still good. And then redistribute that to families or cook with it myself. Like that's where the fish came from. So, you know, that's a really good way to help produce food waste, help produce food cost um, and get things out. So right now we're producing I would say on average two to two fifty meals a week, and then moving probably fifty to one hundred pounds of food. Um, and then we actually recently opened up a community fridge in Kensington as well, um, which is going really well. Uh, it's interesting. The community fridge world in Philadelphia has exploded the past year. Uh, there's probably about twenty of them now, and uh, each one of them has a very distinct personality based on the neighborhood. Um, now, the one I work with that I originally started working with in South Philadelphia um, is a very large Southeast Asian population. Um, so their needs and their wants are a little bit different than, say, you know, the People's Fridge on 52nd Street in West Bay, mm -hmm. you know, which is predominantly black neighborhood. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, catering to that and listening and learning. Um, so for our spot in Kensington, it's at Lehigh and Frankfurt. Uh, there's a pretty large on-house population there. So... We have it set up where we do a lot of, um, you know, diapers, menstrual supplies, um, a lot of prepared meals, things that you can also eat on the go um, that like, you know, they don't necessarily have access right. to a microwave or an oven, but like banana, great, good to go. You know right. what I mean? Prepared meals, stuff like that um, and catering and speaking with the community, you know, so there's a lot of guys, that, uh, a lot of humans that hang out on, uh, the gas station there at Frankfurt, just ask them what they wanted. Mm -hmm. And then you give it to them. Like, don't overthink it. Ask people what they want and help them out. Right, That's right, it. Right, right. How 
someone that like uh how do they hear about these community refrigerators how do you uh get the attention of the the public so it depends um with the public um it's easy with social media and stuff like that but obviously that puts uh people with lack of technology access uh, at a disadvantage there um within the unhoused community that word spreads quick um, you know, when we were putting up that fridge, people were walking by, they were already telling their friends, you know? Um, and that kind of goes along the same lines as like the Southeast, uh, the South Philly fridge. Um, you know, I still work down there a lot and, you know, there's a pretty large population that comes by there. That fridge moves really fast and moves a lot of food. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, and then there's old school, like put up signs. Right. So we have signage all over the fridge. If you're walking by, like there's definitely a giant sign that says, you know, free food in like four different languages. Right. So um, how is the process of keeping stocked, keeping uh, the tallies of, you know, when we need to come in and stock? How does that happen? I have a vending machine right here. Yeah. Uh, and it's computerized. You know, they know at the. Uh, factory wow. when I need to be refilled and mm-hmm. how are you doing this with the community kitchen are you just checking in on it every yeah year? that's it um you know we have a series of volunteers um and then we set up you know various spreadsheets and you know uh it kind of luckily I we live like right there so I checked on it earlier today um and it was doing okay and you know that's a thing where it's it's just checking on it cleaning it throwing some stuff in there doing larger runs um definitely helps a lot um you know when you're able to get instead of putting one gallon of milk in there you can put eight in there and like that takes a little bit longer buys you some time mm-hmm. but it's all community based mm-hmm. it's all based on volunteers that come through we set up spreadsheets and and you know, have a volunteer time slots. So generally, you know, in theory, uh, it's being checked on three times a day, morning, afternoon, night. Um, funding for that is all community-based um, and that's through Venmo and PayPal. And, um, you know, so keeping tallies on what we're spending, we reimburse people mm-hmm. to a certain extent, um, you know, and a lot of people don't take it, to be yeah. honest with you, which is really great. But the whole idea in the long run is that myself and the two people that, you know, are running that fridge, uh, they're both from prevention point, actually, um, is that, you know, we're not running it. We, we don't want to be seen as founders. We're just community members and we want this fridge to be run by the community for the community. Mm-hmm. And that's it. Like, there's no hierarchy. There's no power structure. There's, there's none of that. It's, it's so what you're saying is you don't want to be able to buy a mansion off of this. Mm-hmm. No, definitely, <laughs> definitely not. No, no. Yeah. I mean, I got both those fridges for free too. Man. Right. <laughs> That's cool, man. And, and it's a very good concept. I don't think people really understand uh, the concept of food deserts and uh, certain people that can even, if they can afford food, don't have access to it. Um, and for you guys to be bringing it right to the neighborhood is great. Do you find uh, anybody taking advantage of it? or I, I don't think that there is a way uh, to take advantage of it. If you are in a position that you need to take that entire fridge and sell it, then you're probably not doing too hot. And then that's what needs to happen. You know what I mean? Um, 
I, I don't know what happens sometimes and that food moves fast. Um, you know, I don't know if you're taking that home to feed 15 people. I don't know if you're taking it home to your whole box. I don't really care. I'm just going to go get more food yeah. because yeah. we have access. You know? there's, a, there's a weird thing. Like you were talking about the communication. There's a, a, on a street level, there's a way that communication amongst the, the people that are, are living there could spread like wildfire. And, and there, there's also like a, a, like a code of behavior, like especially amongst the unhoused and the homeless, they, they take enough. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And, and like you said, if, if you, you want to take it all, you may need it more than the next person. You know what I mean? Right. But it, it's, 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 um, you know, they you kind of leave it open for, for people to, you know, regulate themselves. You, you take your finger, yeah. you know, away from trying to control everything. Right. That's the way I look at it. Right. Is there uh, a next step to this concept? For the community fridges? Um, or even just a next step for you? Yeah. You know. So to answer both that, two different questions separately. Community fridges, yes, I'd like to, you know, be a part of opening more community fridges and learning from this experience and set them up deeper in Kensington. Um, you know, where it's at at Frankfurt and Lehigh is kind of literally on the train tracks. It separates Kensington, Kensington, where, you know, the opioid epidemic is, is really, really wide, widely seen versus, you know, Fishtown and like Lululemon people. Yeah, you know what yeah, I mean? Yeah. Um, the gentrified area. Yeah, for sure. Um, and then with our organization, Double Trellis, um, yeah, the, the goal is to, uh, right now we're using a space that my boss currently owns and lets us work out of for free, which is absolutely amazing. You know, uh, since the jump, since we started, he was just like, yeah, just be autonomous and clean up after yourself and please leave me alone. I love you. Thank yeah. you. And you're like, all right, tight. Like, you know, and kitchen space is not cheap, but idealistically we're working with some other organizers to get a larger space and create sort of a coalition with a bunch of smaller um, organizations doing food and security work so that we can basically be operating seven days a week around the clock, you know, without having people working 80 hour weeks because that's kind of counterproductive to everything that we're doing. Um, so that's definitely the move that should be, you know, we're looking hopefully September, um, life is going to life. So we'll see what happens there. But generally, um, creating significantly more production, uh, assessing the needs of different communities. There's definitely some niches in, I don't want to say niches, but there's definitely some, some areas in Philadelphia that are not being, um, supported enough. Mm-hmm. Um, there are, especially on the large scale food production, uh, a lot of the organizations that are doing that are really focused on like a lot of either elderly or children, like, you know, dealing and working with the on-house populations, that's like little churches and stuff and people that aren't like necessarily coming from a chef background, the rad people doing rad work, but it's like, you know, three people that just bought like 20 pounds of pasta. It's like, all right, we're going to the park. You know what I mean? So it's a little bit different, especially having the ideologies that I have. It's funny because I do these little community cleanups, you know, and I get frustrated because I'm like, we shouldn't have to do this, you know. <laughs> Someone's getting paid, but we're still out here. But I put it together just willy-nilly, like you said, someone buy some pasta. Like, I ask for volunteers to just come in and, and we get it done. Um, 
have you ever thought about uh, asking somebody that is a part of government to help you? So we're, you know, I'm involved in some of, uh, there's a mutual aid coalition type thing happening right now with some of the council members um, from the Philadelphia uh, City Council. Um, you know, part of dealing with the government is that the government causes these problems. Um, so it's a difficult thing to balance that and seeing where's what and if we're not just perpetuating these issues in this like really cute little tied up bow, but it's still harmful and doesn't create any solutions. Mm -hmm. Right now we're acting as a stopgap by providing these meals, but that's not a long-term solution to getting people food. Right. It's going to happen via land sovereignty, via higher wages, you know, via job placement, via job training, via education, all of these intersectional things that are, are the reasons why food insecurity exists. Um, you know, I want to be in a position where I don't have to make these meals because people have their own food and right. they're able to. Right. I just want to go like fishing and retire. Yeah. Uh, I don't, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, I want people to have their own food and, you know, the issues that are pre preventing that from happening really go back. Um, to a handful of you know public funding and the way that that money is being spent and the way that the government's handled a lot of this. Right. And you, you look at Philadelphia completely denying the opioid epidemic for you know 15 years up until like a year ago they're like oh this is bad and you're like man it has been real bad for like 15 <laughs> years yeah. dude. Yeah. Um, and they just hide it and they yeah. just keep it they just try and keep it in Kensington and it's but you know it's not just Kensington yeah. Um, and that's why I'm happy to have you on the show because we have so many friends who have been to the depths and, and they're, they're no longer here. Um, they're going through really hard times still. So you telling your story uh, might help somebody that knows Matt Stebbins uh, that's going through and be like, dang, Matt did it. Now I, now I can do it as well, you know. Um, Olin, you mentioned that you mentor a few people. Um, how is that? How How is being the big brother of uh, a lot of little brothers, how, how is managing that going for you? I, I love it, you know. Um, it's kind of like about the, the people who uh, tried to, you know, guide me throughout my life. I, I never forgot those people, especially my coaches. I, I coach wrestling as right. well. Uh, I, I deal with young people that don't deal with substance abuse and, mm -hmm. and behavioral uh um, trauma or anything like that. Um, but I remember that those people were so pivotal in my life. So, you know, I, I know when I, I got to a position where I felt healthy with myself, I wanted to be able to help somebody else, mm -hmm. you know, especially young people, uh, young black men, um, anybody who really, you know, may not have that, that person in their life that, that could uh, guide them. But I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna knock on your door. You know, um, yeah. you know, if, if you want help, I'll help you. And, uh, you know, if you continue to ask, I will go above and beyond to help you. Right. Um, but, yeah, uh, it, it helps me. Um, when I'm helping you, it helps me. You know what I mean? I don't do it for selfish reasons, but it, it, yeah. it, it comes back around. You know what right, I mean? Right, right, right. Um, so, yeah, I, I won't change that for, for anything. You know, I, I, I'll, I'll continue to do that. It keeps me uh, grounded. Uh, keeps me humble. Yeah. You know what I mean? Are, are you guys part of any uh, recovery communities? 
Uh, I'm not sure if you are, uh, both know, but we have NA meetings right in this room where we're shooting. No way. Uh, really? Yeah, this podcast. Every Friday night, there's an NA meeting here, uh, followed by uh, a mindfulness workout. Okay. That's uh, so cool. Yeah. So um, I'm really close with that community. Um, have you guys ever gone that route? Yeah, we're both in AA. Um, um, yeah, AA. Yeah. Um, and, you know, for, for myself, um, it was, uh, I definitely used a lot of substances and definitely had substance abuse problems, but it was really the alcohol. And it took me a long time to realize that. Right. And then it was the alcohol that was the biggest catalyst in all of that. Um, and I would say more coincidence than anything, like AA is what got me sober, so I just kept doing it. Cool. <laughs> but, cool. uh, you know, yes. NA has got a lot of the same principles and amazing people and, and people getting, you know, their life back. Right. Yeah, I don't I don't split hairs when it comes to that. If you are, are um, practicing um, recovery in any form, um, I'm always supportive of it. Right. I mean, I, I, I do Dharma recovery, which has a lot of meditation and, and um, Buddhist uh, influenced recovery. I do, uh, you know, uh, uh, smart recovery. Personally, I, I utilize that in my recovery. Yeah. But AA is my, you know, where where I find most of my foundation. Right. But NA, I'm, I'm always willing to do anything that mm-hmm. you know would help share that message right. of, of hope. You know what I mean? Yeah. So I, I would love to be connected. Be connected. Oh, definitely. That's yeah. that's a done deal. That's no problem. Yeah. Um, this show, though, I, I reached out to Matt simply because of his community activism and what he's doing. And this show turned out to be much deeper. <laughs> and I, 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 I turned out to find out a lot more information mm-hmm. um, that I didn't know. And I'm glad that... Uh, we took it there yeah. because like I said earlier, we're going to be helping out a lot of people that, you know, know both of us, um, see both of us giving back to the community, um, and, you know, see that we're still here. Yeah. Um, so it, this is like a, a little privilege, man. Um, where can people come to donate, uh, or even just look up, uh, with double trellis. Double trellis. So, double trellis. Yeah. So our Instagram is at double trellis, T-R-E-L-L-I-S-P-H-L. And then double trellis food initiative on Facebook. Uh, I'm far more active on Instagram. That's where a lot more, um, you know, any facets of activism and, and a lot of the people that I work with and a lot of the organizations that I work with um, are, are on. Uh, donations are available on the Instagram or at Double Trellis Food Initiative on Venmo. Um, and uh, the community fridge is Coral Street Fridge on Instagram and Facebook as well. Um, and you can donate to the Venmo and PayPal there. It's Coral Street Fridge. Um, all donations for both organizations go straight to the people. No one's getting paid. There's no overhead for either organization. I don't pay rent in my organization. No one gets paid 100% of the food goes straight, or 100% of the money goes straight to food and packaging. Uh, At this point, I've made almost 11,000 meals for right around 80 cents a meal. um, Because I'm super cheap and know what I'm doing. (laughs) Um, But that's all really, you know, that's real food. You know, you've seen some of the meals on Instagram and stuff. Those are big plates. That's yeah. important to me. One of the first things that 
you know, when we were first out there during the uprisings in June, uh, you know, part of that was speaking with the community members out there and I was asking them what they wanted to eat. And they were like, listen, like, this might be the only thing that I eat today. So I keep that in mind with everything that I eat that like, you know, I want it to be a little bit much if you got something for later. I wanted to have carbs and proteins and greens and vegetables and things that are real, you know, nutritional value with again, being familiar and like I was telling him earlier without being like overly neoliberal about it, like no quinoa salads, you know what I mean? Right, right. But like give people, you know, you know who likes chicken and rice and beans? Everybody. Right. right. Like, I don't know who doesn't, you know? Like, I, I don't think that there's like one culture in the world that doesn't eat chicken and rice, you right, know? Right, right. So I, I think it's important maintaining cultural relevance in this food too and keeping things familiar. To people, um, right. you know, working in fine dining for so long, it's like you know, people don't care about phones and wacky ingredients and like you know, dropping all this money on scallops or something like that. Like, don't get me wrong, I love scallops, but like, give people what they want, give people what they know, and you know, a lot of these people are going through a pretty tough time. Mm -hmm. um, and you know, give people comfort food, but like, make it have some sort of nutritional value and, and you know, make it balanced, you right. know, and, and care. Um, there's a big difference between me really caring about that red sauce as opposed to taking it out of the can and throwing it on pasta. You know what I mean? Like that is fresh, it's made by my hands. I taste that before I serve it, you know, and add more seasoning, yeah, whatever it takes. There's a little bit of uh, dignity in that as well. When Absolutely. People, uh, consume it, they know that it's not like just charity it's like someone actually put some thought and care into it and they care about them yeah i mean all of this is based far more in solidarity than it is in charity mm -hmm. um i'm i'm there to originally we started all of this through uh the encampments in the parkway right uh, i met the organizers there in june and then within a week we were making hundreds of meals for them at a time and supporting that community uh greatly and you know that was one thing that that we took from that was that you know, it wasn't this charity-based thing. It was, I was trying to give them the the energy that they needed to have their voices heard. Because I, I don't want to speak for them. They, they have opinions, they have thoughts, they have their own voice. I was there to give them energy to do that. Right, right. And, and, and you know, those encampments had some ups and downs, but ultimately, like, there were some houses given. Um, there were a lot of things that happened. That was a crazy summer, I'll tell you that. <laughs> <laughs> crazy summer. Yeah. But... But you're here, man. Yeah, yeah. And and Owen, do you have uh, a social media handle? Do you? No, I don't. Oh, no. man. I'm mature no, no, mature yeah. black <laughs> suburban. <laughs> no, but you, you know, I'll, you could always contact me through, through Matt. Through Matt. And I'll definitely give you my contact yeah, yeah, afterwards. Yeah. Cool, cool. <laughs> um, and I always leave... Uh, the show giving our guests an opportunity to just spread a message that they want to spread um, and you know whether it be about themselves or about the world or whatever so here's your opportunity we're going to start with you first mm, put me on the spot <laughs> um, yeah, you got your freestyle now I mean really I, I just treat people with empathy and love you know what I mean uh, I think we uh, are are losing that in today's society, a very apathetic society, a very uh, narcissistic, vain, self-serving society today, and, and and we need to get back to you know some sort of love and right. you know caring for one another, and, and um, 
you know, it's it, we we don't have to constantly be polarized into one to uh, white and black. You know, I mean, there's there's nuances to all of us. Mm-hmm. I would say, especially like, especially when it comes to the black community, we are not a monolith. You know, there there yeah. we we have we could have more than yeah, one death. thought in our head. Yeah. We could, you know, and I'm sure it goes with the with all other you know uh, societies and, and white community. Latino community, the Asian community, we're, we're not just one thing, you know, and we have to start to learn, learn from each right. other. Yeah. So, and, and, and that's what it really boils down to. I'm glad you brought that up um, before I asked Matt his question, um, because not even, even myself, before I started traveling, when I was just a fighter in Philadelphia, I was closed-minded. It took for me to go and experience other cultures to really have an appreciation for humanity um, and things that were different. Um, so what you just said kind of hit home with me. It's like, look, every culture has their thoughts. Every culture is also doing what we're doing right now. There's somebody in China with their podcast going mm-hmm. talking about recovery. It's crazy how that works, but people don't think like that. Um, and that message is going to hit home with a lot of our viewers as well. Um, so I appreciate that. Oh, um, Matt, it's your chance. Oh, oh there we go. Man, you got to lose a lot of people on this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I should have warmed up first. Yeah. Um, oh, I got you. So, so I think that, um, you know, in terms of, of looking at, you know, community support and mutual aid, mm-hmm. um, and these spheres, um, it happens on a very micro level as much as it does on a macro. Uh, albeit, I'm able to produce, you know, thousands of meals and do all this community organizing and, and you know work with all these amazing people. But like as a singular person, um, anyone can support another person that needs support. It ain't that deep, you know what I mean? If someone needs a hand, give them a hand. If you're able to. Give them a hand, or if you need a hand, ask someone that can give you a hand. Right. Um, there's a lot of facets to to support, whether it's just lending an ear or giving a ride, you know, picking up extra groceries for you know the little old lady down the way. Yeah. You know, um, it doesn't have to be like, oh, you gotta go start a nonprofit. Like, first off, don't do that because it's really draining. I'm super <laughs> tired all the time. But like, just just you know, yeah. keep, keep it simple. Um, you can stop having me relate to you right now. <laughs> you're right though yeah um but yeah keep it simple and just uh you know community support and and look out for people um in your community especially the youth the elders the disabled people that are marginalized um people that you know and and people that are going through a tough time that's when they need help the most don't don't look at them and scoff like like they have leprosy or something you know ask them what they need and then give it to them and, and do your best to, to, to support them in any way they may need. Yeah, definitely. I'm going to uh, give a shout out to our upbringing. Um, <laughs> I don't know how it happened, but you know, I look back at a lot of our old friends and we're all doing positive things. Most of us yeah. at least are doing positive things. I don't know what was in the water over there. Um, you know, a lot of people have gone through bad things, but ultimately in our adult life, I see everybody uh, 
doing good. So Liberty Drive. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Shout, shout yeah. out, shout yeah. out to my mom Carrie. Got yeah, yeah, out that's there. Evidently, shout out to my dad too on like all that. That was crazy yeah. story. Yeah. 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 yeah definitely. Yeah. That's it wild. was a community, and we didn't even realize it. Yeah. You know, um, real quick, just the only black kid playing hockey out there. Yeah. Yeah. You know? <laughs> <laughs> um, but you know what? I, I have that story to tell other people. You yeah. know, I was the community goalie. <laughs> you, you know, you were still the best skater out there, yeah. though, no doubt. Exactly. Um, and, and just that upbringing helped. You know, it, it helped me realize too that you know there's good and bad in everybody, and and you know we just got to look at everybody as individuals and, and do our thing and. And I thank God that we had that upbringing and that we came from where we are because it could have been worse. Um, we could have been from rags our whole life and, and not understand what it is to be on the other side. To have both experiences um, makes us appreciate both sides. Absolutely. So, Absolutely. Matt, I appreciate you being on For sure. the Young Black Suburban, I man. This is a beautiful a episode. Owen, I appreciate you coming by. Maybe, who knows, in the future, there'll be a part two yeah, or, or, or not, you know, but for today, that was the Young Black Suburban. I appreciate you guys.